Welcome to episode number six on the Faithful Finances Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Khadija Collins, a young realtor out of the Austin area. In today's episode, Khadija is going to talk to us about the importance of credit and give us some tips on how to build and repair a broken credit score. In addition, she's also going to give us some trends and just things to know if you're interested or in the market for real estate. Hold on to your seatbelts. It's going to be a fun ride. It's time to boss up. Fix your credit, girl. Get at it. Get your bag up. I want you to know that, girl. You got it. You got it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You- All right. So, well, thank you for joining me. Thank you for being a part of the Faithful Finance Podcast. You're welcome. Deja Collins. I live in Austin, Texas. I have a um, credit repair company. It's called KC Credit Bootcamp and also a real estate company as well that we just started up. It's called Crown Realty. Because, you know, a lot of a lot of us don't, you know, know about credit, know the importance of it, know how much power it has. And, you know, they can take advantage of having good credit, you know, all that good stuff. So I want to first start with the real estate side, but we're going to dive into the credit as well. My question to you is, why real estate? One, why did you decide to like get into real estate and become an agent and now a broker? And then more importantly, uh, you also just purchased your first home. So congratulations to you. Thank you. And thank you. Just, just curious, like the, the mindset, like what, what made you decide to be a homeowner as opposed to continuing to rent? Well, first and foremost, you know, being a real estate agent, it was my plan B, which it should have always been plan A. But, you know, I was in school realizing, you know, school's not for me. I was originally going for a ho- to be a homicide detective. So I was just like, well, you know what? I don't, you know, really want to do this anymore. Let me look into the real estate side. So, you know, I started dibbling and dabbling in that part, starting as a leasing agent. And then I realized that there was something I can do. So I pursued my license and I just decided real estate after I got into it. First and foremost, people's gonna always need somewhere to live. I always, you know, need a roof over their head. And I've also seen the income I can make off of real estate as well. And not even only that, I have a passion for helping people, you know, and um, that's where the credit repair comes into play. Like I said, my passion is helping people and ownership is super important. And I say that because it goes back to being an investment. You know what I mean? You're going to always have income. You know, you're falling on hard times. You have a home. Guess what? You can sell it and cash out on your equity or, you know, something in that sort. Compared to renting, you're paying someone else's taxes. You're paying someone else's cost of living. You know what I mean? So why not use those benefits for yourself, you know, and your family? And you have something to pass down to your kids. Now, if you were to rent a home, then you're paying for their home to get passed down to their kids. Does that make sense? I think it touches on, on basically the, the premise of faithful finance. We want to be better stewards of right. our finances. And one of that being like, how can you have something that creates passive generational income. wealth and right. passive income? Like, let's not continue to put money in other people's pockets. How, how can right. we allow our accounts and our assets to grow? So with that, uh, to kind of piggyback off of that, I also see that you've recently closed on some deals. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems like a few of those people are related to you. So maybe tell me how you may have influenced your family members to also want to become homeowners and like some of the conversations around that. Well, 
I'll first start off with my mom. So first of all, she didn't know. She didn't understand the process. She just felt that she couldn't do it. You know what I mean? She just felt like it was a far-reached goal or something that's never going to happen. So, you know, she had me, hey, you can do this. You know, let's work on this first. So we started working on her credit. She started in the 400s. We actually um, got her to the high 600s by working on her credit. You know, she went through the whole KC Credit Bootcamp. And I like for people to feel confident in knowing that they can do anything. We end up, you know, getting her credit up, taking her to a lender, and she was pre-approved. And the process, it just seems so easy because really it is easy. People make it harder than what they think. You know what I mean? So when she got pre-approved, we continued to work on her credit. And as we continued to work on her credit, it helped with her interest rates. It helped with her mortgage. It helped with all the front-end things as far as her loan. What would you say were some of those conversations, though, since you said she was a little apprehensive, thinking, nah, not me, my credit's not good? Or, because a lot of people go through that and think of becoming a homeowner. It just seems like this far-reached goal, and I got exactly. to have my life together and all, all right. these certain things in place. So maybe talk through some of those conversations that you guys had, or even just like your clientele in general. Like, how do you get them ready, prepared? mentally to be like you can be a homeowner like right exactly or it's more so encouragement for sure and um affirmations and also you know letting them know that they can do it so what we'll do is we'll start to you know look at their profile well hey it's not as bad as you think this is all that we need to do and they're just like oh really so it all just starts you know with the credit of course and then of course income comes into play and all that other good stuff and once we get that you know worked out or they follow the instructions, then that's when everything just runs a little bit more smoothly to prepare to, you know, to prepare for home ownership. Does that make sense? So it's just all just a plan we put in place. No, no, and it again makes sense as far as like, how do we encourage each other? Being a young 27 year old mother of two, like if somebody's sitting back watching, thinking like, oh, my life ain't together, or I can't do mm-hmm. it. To see you, I, I'm sure that also was a, a push of encouragement or something to kind of get them thinking at least. Right. Like, oh, if, if Khadija can do it, maybe I can do it. Hey, I say if I can do it, a caveman can do it. So, um. <laughs> what would you say has been the trend recently, like even during this pandemic? Because I, I personally think it's it's great that people are buying and closing on homes like in the midst of a pandemic. So are you seeing now, just in 2020, like there are a lot of more GNY millennials purchasing their first homes or purchasing homes? Or is it that older people are downsizing because of income impacted and all of that? So are you seeing a little bit of both? Is it is it more so one way or the other? Like what, what kind um, of trends are you seeing in the real estate industry? Well, honestly, it is a mixture of both, for sure. I can't say that. I work with people my age. I work with people a lot older than I am, my grandparents, you know, so it's a pretty good mixture for sure. I wouldn't just say it's like a specific group of people, like young people just buying homes right now. No, young, older, mid-age. We're all trying to get on a 
path to home ownership. I would say a lot more so African-Americans purchasing and buying homes and, you know, moving towards home ownership. Curious, what what do you think that is just from your experience in the entry? Like, what do you think is driving this current trend? Like you said, more young millennials. More knowledge, for sure. You know, they're getting hip to having good credit. They pretty much know what it takes to get to where they would like to be. Um, Hopefully they're listening to Faithful Finance. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I may not have all the right words to say. I may not have all the correct dialogue, but this is where it's at. Home ownership, ownership, period. You know what I mean? Make your money work for you at the end of the day. So it's better to start now than never or later, you know? Lower interest rates has Mm -hmm. been one of the driving factors for a lot of people, especially when having to decide by now, by later. Those interest rates are really good right now for anyone considering purchasing loans. They're at a historically low interest rate. Right. If you're you're at a place where you can do it, it might be the time to do so. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I I would say to to some of my people who've, who've listened to earlier podcasts, I talked about like high yield savings. Those two are kind of counteract each other. So when the Federal Reserve has set these interest rates in place, like we're seeing lower interest on like some high yield savings. So basically encouraging people to save less and spend more. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if you're if you're gonna spend more, spend it on something that that's gonna appreciate and right, increase exactly. in value over time, give you some equity, some value in your net worth. So let's switch gears and talk about this KC Credit Bootcamp. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so so how long have you been working with individuals on their credit, doing credit repair? And I guess what, what initially started you down that path? Well, I started three years ago and I fully launched my business back in April of this year. Honestly, what really just got me into the credit repair industry is because I had got scammed by um by someone so I'm just like wow so I was like you know what I'm just gonna work on this myself still even at that time didn't have any intentions of working on you know being a credit repair agent let alone a credit repair company started to learn a little bit more so I did all my research you know on credit and I started working on people's and you know doing theirs that's when I thought about getting my own I was still in real estate at this time so just started about getting my own brokerage maybe we should be a one-stop shop help them with their credit and get them on a path to home ownership so once I realized there was a couple people or a few people that I had got to the 700, I just started my company up. I started it up and we've been doing great. Getting these people on the right path, you know, showing them or letting them know, educating them on how important credit is, what it does for you, you know, um, and we need to learn to do what everybody else do. You know, if we want generational wealth, you know, use other people's money. The only way you can do that is by having good credit, you know, or great credit, excellent credit. What are some of the common trends that you see with regard to individuals coming and needing credit repair? Is it that they just have a lot of delinquencies? Is it medical costs that's mostly impacting? I know it's going to be different for every person. Right. But like, what what is some of the, the common things that you see? Medical bills, delinquent accounts, for sure. High utilization um, on their credit card. That's pretty much the, the main three common things I can just, you know, point out. If I was to go to a person, I can probably guess this is why you have bad credit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, you know, so, but the main killer, oh, late payments as well. Super important. 
late payment. Um, late payments is a killer for your credit. That's about 35% of your credit score. So one late payment can decrease your score up to 100 points. And then the credit utilization, it's right under that. So, you know, a lot of people get credit cards, you know, to help build their credit and help work on their credit as well. And, um, you know, even just to use other people's money too, you know. So just keep in mind to use below 30%. So if your limit is 500, don't use more than $150 on that. And if you feel like you need to use more, always try to call your credit card company and get a credit limit increase. This is probably one thing that a lot of people misconstrue as far as like what they mean. So there's a difference between bad credit and no credit. So bad credit is what we spoke of earlier, like delinquent accounts, um, a lot of derogatory accounts on your credit report. No credit is a lot easier to work with for sure because you pretty much have nothing on there and you can always build your credit to where you need it to be. Like kind of put them in buckets. You got your bad credit, no credit is somewhere in the middle, but not far off from bad. And then you're, you got your fair, good, excellent. Right, right. I would personally choose no credit. I work with everything, but favorite is no credit. So since we, we kind of like broken it into buckets, we'll, we'll leave the fair, good, and excellent kind of off to the side. If somebody coming to you with no credit, let's start there. Somebody coming to you with no credit, what are some of your recommendations or suggestions for those individuals to start to build their credit score up? Um, the, ma the major thing I would say is if you know someone who trusts you and um, who's comfortable with adding you to if they have a credit card in good standing um, and don't use above the 30% limit, if you have someone who will let you piggyback off of their credit card, they don't have to give you the credit card thing. But if they could just add you on there, that'll be perfect. That'll help. That'll help a lot. So pretty much once you get on that, I would just say start building your credit as far as as much as I hate to say it, good credit, you have to be in debt or somewhat of debt. That's what they like to see. And they like to see you paying your debt on time, you know, not maxing out the credit card. So I would say start building your credit from there, like apply for a credit card, maybe two or three credit cards or, you know, something small and just get to paying it off like furniture or something, just get to paying it off. And then just showing that good payment history and that you have open revolving accounts in good standing. And that's about it. That's you're on your path to good credit for sure. You need a, a mixture of accounts on your credit in order to, you know, get to the excellent credit, like real estate, installment, revolving credit. Revolving credit is like credit cards. Installment credit is like a car note. And then another installment is like maybe if you're renting furniture from a furniture store or something. So it just wants to see a mixture of those on your credit account if you are wanting to get to, you know, the 800. What have you seen from your experience as far as renting and impacting someone's credit? Well, really, if you're renting and you're in good standing, it doesn't really affect your credit. Like, it doesn't report to your credit. Now, if you were renting and you're making late payments or you default on the lease, then that's when it'll report to your credit. The misconception. Yeah, so that apartment, they're they going to report the bad stuff. <laughs> right, but they're not going to report the good stuff. But there are programs out there that you can pay them to report the good stuff to your credit report. So there is a way to um, get your good rental history reported to your credit, and that could help too. 
Okay. And so now let's let's kind of switch gears and, and talk about the person who's coming with the bad credit. So they may have some of these items we discussed earlier, medical bills, um, some late delinquent payment, uh, high utilization. What are some of your, your steps in your boot camp process to help those with the bad credit kind of shift over to a good and excellent? Okay. So um I'll start with high utilization. If they have high credit card bills, the first thing I will have them do is start paying it off. So for example, I had a client today who had a $500 credit card limit and she, her balance was like 435 on there. And I just explained to her not to go over the 30%. If she was to at least pay maybe two below 150, then that will help her credit increase. And then just make her minimum monthly payments from there. If she, you know, if you can't afford to just, you know, pay it all at once, um, just make the minimum payment to get it under 30%. Cause I know people just don't have a bunch of money just, you know, laying around. And that's the reason, you know, they use their credit cards, you know, so keep it under 30%. Collections and um, derogatory accounts, how I personally work on them. Everything that's reported to your credit report, it has to be true and accurate information. Now, when you look at a credit report, everything on there is not always completely 100% accurate. Instead of just going in there, just, oh, I don't know, I don't recognize this account or validate this account. No, this information is wrong. Y'all are not allowed to report wrong information to credit report. You need to remove this account. They just have to know the law of credit repairs and know how to send the letter off and how and what words to say. But I do offer consultations to see, you know, pull up their credit report, see what's exactly what's on there, what we can do. Now, I know a lot of people probably say, oh, we can remove broken leases, evictions, so, you know, collection items, which is true, but it all just depends on how it's reported to your credit report. Even just staying here for a moment, those delinquent payments, how long does that impact your credit? There there has to be a, a kind of a, a limitation statute. Late payments or delinquent yeah. accounts? The late payments. Late payments that affect your credit for two years, 24 months, and then delinquent accounts. Um, they affect your credit for seven years. A broken lease can stay on there for seven years. A judgment against you can stay on there, like an eviction or something, can stay up there for as long as 10 years. And so I guess kind of touching on some of those delinquencies, like you said, like a broken lease and all of these things that can be on there for multiple years. Is that kind of taking that same approach where you look at it and say, well, this was reported inaccurately? Or is there a process to say like, hey, I'm on a payment plan. I've been doing well. Like, how is that? Well, about 80% of the things on your credit report is not going to be reported accurately. So with the broken lease, that can go either way. Um, if you're making payment plans, they usually keep it on there until, it, until the debt is satisfied. They do have it to where you can also settle out. You know, say if your broken lease was 2000 maybe you can settle out for 500 to 1000 They have those options. Just the, the faithful finance in me. want to go back a few minutes to what we talked about, like, opening these different credit cards because to your point it's unfortunate but that's just how the system is set up like you you have to be in some sort of debt or have accumulated some amount of debt to even build or have established credit right exactly and, and i think you touched on it but to kind of help drive it home a little be conscious of like where you're spending like you don't want to be in that high utilization group and if possible, like start to pay those things down whenever possible, pay them down if not off. And even when you're going to purchase a home and do all of that, like your credit 
is one of the things they factor in, but they also look at a debt to income ratio. Right. Especially when you're trying to purchase a home, debt to income ratio is super duper important and that can break or make a loan for sure. So that's very important to keep in mind. So if you, you know, have a mortgage of $1,900 and you you make, you know, $3,000 a month and you have some other debt on there, there's not, you know, going to be too many approval options out there for you. And so I'm curious just to get your your professional thoughts here. So when an individual has work to get their credit right, what is some of the first things that you you might push them toward um i know a lot of people's initial thoughts is going to probably be either to purchase a home or some sort of real estate or a car which one in your personal opinion would you at least advise clients if they're in a, a position to do either of those or both which one would you say is probably more important I would say get a get a mortgage first if you can, because, you know, when you have all those other bills, it all goes towards your debt to income ratio. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. with cars or when you're trying to get a vehicle, they don't really look into, you know, your debt to income. You know, they just look at your income, but they don't look at your debt. Depending on how good your credit score is, they might not even need to look at your income. So that's the advantage of having really great credit as well. Bad credit, you're in a dealership all day long, you know waiting on a bank to approve you, but you go in there with a 700 or above credit score, you're going to be out within about an hour or so, you know, as long as you already know which vehicle you want, they're going to, you know, pull your credit, probably even give you the keys, you know, sign the paperwork and you're going to go about your business. You know what I mean? My thoughts on that though, too, is like, let me, again, kind of going back to our initial point, I want an asset that's going to add value or have the ability to appreciate over time. A lot of people probably negate the fact that as soon as you go and buy that brand new car, you drive it off the lot, it's depreciated. It depreciates, right? As opposed to a home that over time, life will appreciate depending on the area, depending on like school district, just certain different environmental factors. Like you're, you're more than likely to see appreciation in an asset like real estate as opposed right. to a vehicle that is built to just depreciate to nothing over time. Right, exactly. You are absolutely correct. But to answer your question, I definitely think the most important thing you should get is an asset, you know, something that does appreciate over time. So that's actually what, you know, we're working towards right now. Um, is investment properties. I'm actually on a prowl. I'm, you know, I'm looking for office space right now. I'm looking for investment properties. Um, like I said, just to have my money work for me, you know, Austin is booming right now. Based off of, you know, what I know about the market, there's no reason to not have real estate in Austin area right now. And then also the Airbnb part of it too. So we're looking to get a duplex, you know, rent one side out and making the other one an Airbnb. Airbnb, let's talk about that. Um, yes, ma'am. I, I feel like I start to see more younger millennials kind of get into that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, one so because, hey, a lot of times when we, we're traveling out of town, a lot of people have gotten away from the traditional hotel. Hotels, exactly. Airbnb is kind of where that's at. And so to your point, in a city like Austin that is just busting out of the seams where there, there's nowhere to go, and every, but everyone wants to come. How How are you seeing the potential for passive income in Austin? So let's break it down like this. I like to, you know, talk numbers. So let's just say you own a house and your mortgage is including the the, uh, principal interest, the taxes, insurance, all that good stuff. Let's just say it's $2,000, right? 
And let's say if you Airbnb this home and you have this home, you know, booked up for the month. Because, you know, people come to Austin every day. Round Rock, too. So if you get a house and you're paying a $2,000 mortgage, let's say it's a three-bedroom. You Airbnb it out. Let's see if you Airbnb this out for $150, right? $150 a day and you stay full, you know, throughout the whole month. Maybe you may have some days that's missed. That's potentially... $4,500 you can make, profiting $2,500. Now you can put that into the property. You can save that. You can go get another investment property after about a few months. You know what I mean? So it's just so much money you can make in the Airbnb lifestyle. So um, that's been booming for sure. You know what? They actually got that Kalahari Resort down there. So it's really good to, you know, look into some property out there. They're bringing Tesla too. So um, they're bringing that to huddle. So it'll be perfect if you can get some property out in Round Rock right now at this very moment before taxes go up, before the um, the market value go up, you know. Sweet. No, and again, I, I love that you put numbers to it because I'm a numbers girl. Yeah. And sometimes uh, and sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't click to people until they see the numbers. It's like, right. okay, men lie, women lie. Numbers don't lie. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, you know, and I was actually talking to this older guy, you know, this is how I just even, you know, started thinking about the Airbnbs, because like he said, I thought the same way. And so he started talking numbers to me. He said, you know, I have a, I have a um, Airbnb, a house Airbnb out in Pflugerville. I was like, oh yeah, you know, we just got to conversation. He was like, um, and on that house Airbnb, I make $5,000 a month. You know, his house is older. He brought it a while back. So I'm pretty sure his um, mortgage is not, you know, two, probably 1500 you know? So, you know, 1500 off of, you know, 5000 that's $3,500 in profit. And of course you have to put, you know, some back into the home. So that just kind of amazed me. And it just had me thinking from there. And I was like, you know, why we don't do things like that? You know, we see all these other people, you know, you know, having all these properties, creating income for them with, out them even having to lift a finger, you know, will probably lift the finger to approve the, um, you know, the request. But besides yeah. that, they're just at home, just making money. That market ever booms or crash or Airbnb goes away, you know how he's making that profit of thirty five hundred. He can pay two times his rent, and pay off his home sooner, and he can have a owned home that he can do anything with. It was just so many things I had thought about when, you know, we were having that conversation. So see while you were talking, you you made me think of a question I forgot to write down. But I I'm I'm glad you mentioned the increase in taxes. So home ownership is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. What comes with it is also property taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so say that you're in an affluent area and it they build up these mm-hmm. new these new things all around you. Business is booming property values go up and right so when your when your property taxes is based on a assessed value every time that dollar goes, goes up, up. Mm-hmm. they know so those those property taxes but I, I guess being the offset there is like you're increasing the the equity the value yeah the value of your home so you'll have more money if you decide to you know sell your home and so i i was victim to this simply just because i didn't know do you point out the fact to um, new home buyers, especially people building from the ground up, mm-hmm. that the property taxes that you're paying in closing costs initially will likely be significantly different that second year once you have an assessed value of your home. 
So my my example here to kind of make it more plain was the property taxes we paid was just based on the land. The land being blank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We built from the ground up. Right. And so that next year when taxes came around and we got our escrow statements, like that number is significantly <laughs> different. Yeah. And, and for me, it's something that I didn't even consider because I'm thinking as my mortgage lender, like you've already taken this into account when you tell me what my escrow is expected to be. But is, is that something that you've commonly seen or is that something that you try to at least alert new homeowners who have built from the ground up that, hey, expect to either put additional towards your escrow with the expectation that the assessed value and property taxes will increase? Or is that even something new to you? Well, I mean, I know how, you know, taxes fluctuate. So I try to educate my buyers on every single thing that I know. You know what I mean? So as far as taxes, I always let them know up front. It can fluctuate. For example, I had a client move into or was wanting to live in Huddle, right? So, you know, I have to explain to them, hey, um, just so I can let you know up front, disclose this information, they will be building Tesla. So when they build Tesla, the property, you know, the the value of the property is going to go up. The market is going to increase because you're going to have, so you're going to have a huge demand there. So property value is going to go up, but the more your property value goes up, the more your taxes go up, the more your taxes increase, you know? So I do, you know, inform them of that. So, I mean, I can't tell them, you know, exact numbers because I don't even know mm-hmm. that, you know? So just, you know, keep that in mind. It can fluctuate. So you paying 1600 now, it's possible that, you know, in a couple of years from now, you could be paying 1800 You know what I mean? So yeah. um, I always, you know, inform my clients when you do get in the home and, you know, keep your credit right, make your payments on time, all that good stuff. If it's a new home, the following year, make sure you file that homestead exemption for sure. So that's a, I mean, it's not a requirement, but it's a requirement. You know what I mean? So that's part of the process too. And then your lender explain explain what the, what that is. Basically, a homestead exemption is it, it's to um for lack of better words, it's like to to protect the value of your home. You know what I mean from property taxes. So basically, the homestead exemptions it removes part of your home value from taxation. So you know they lower your taxes. So that's what the home ex- homestead exemption is for. I always have my guests leave some parting words of wisdom with the people, whether it's related to just finances in general related to real estate credit repair like what is one thing that you would want all the listeners to take away from this episode i would say be really responsible with your finances understand how important credit is and once you understand the importance of credit honestly once you understand the importance of credit everything else falls in line after that you know so you'll be more responsible with your finances more more strict and i absolutely encourage ownership home ownership land ownership anything that appreciates in value i absolutely encourage that let the people know how they can reach you. so the best way you can contact me is my cell phone number it's 512-783-1488. Um, if you're, you know, looking for any tips, I do have, you know, some fake Facebook pages. Uh, sorry, it's so biased, but ladies in real estate, um, I have a Facebook page. It's Khadija and it's apartment locator, but apartment is abbreviated, APT locator. 
You can find me on there. Feel free to add me and take in some of that knowledge that I'll be shooting you guys. And um, Instagram for Credit Repair, KC Credit Bootcamp. You can find me there. You can find some tips there too. And if anybody has any questions or would like to pick my brain, as they say, I'm always open to that for sure. Well, as I opened up, thank you for joining us. I definitely feel like you dropped some great gems that will at least get people's minds working, kind of get their thought process with whether it's related to starting the process of working on their credit or just taking that leap and getting right. some real estate and so I definitely want to appreciate you for taking the time out today to join us on Faithful Finances until next time be blessed it's time to mix it up and get your glow girl I know that you gon' get it you got so much I want you to know that girl you got it